Welcome to Definitely Maybe Agile, the podcast where Peter Madison and David Shurrock discuss the complexities of adopting new ways of working at scale. Hello and welcome, and here we are again for the Definitely Maybe Agile podcast. And uh, my good friend Dave here is uh, my good friend Dave is here as well to enlighten us. And today we're going to be talking about the Agile PMO. So, so Dave, what what have you got to say to open us up on this one? <laughs> Great to talk to you again, Peter. I'm looking forward to a, a bit of a conversation here. So let me just start by trying to understand when you say Agile PMO, and we often talk about Agile COEs, so project management offices, or Agile COEs, um, centers of excellence. What do you see in organizations? Um, do you see Agile PMOs or Agile Center of Excellences popping up with a very clear focus or overlap between those? How do you see that? I've seen it uh, occur, especially in large organizations, in a variety of ways. If if there is already um, a PMO, very often that continues to exist while a center of excellence for Agile gets stood up under some transformation mandate of some kind, reporting up through the organization in some other manner. Um, and and I've seen the, a variety of one taking over the other at various points in the evolution of that um, and where that particularly goes uh, because they tend to be tackling different things. Uh, I, I, I could comment too on, uh, but I think it'll take us in a slightly different direction with this conversation than when we were talking before about um, uh, coming from an infrastructure space. One of the big problems I've always had with PMOs is that they really do not understand how to deliver infrastructure projects. Uh, they're no good at delivering software projects either, but they're terrible at delivering infrastructure projects because infrastructure projects don't really fit very well into the traditional PMO that exists within yeah. uh, organizations either. It's, but but uh, I mean, <laughs> this is always an interesting conversation because I don't think either of us have ever planted ourselves in a PMO, in a project management office, with an idea of saying, this is this is really important. We need to do this. How do we go about to, you know, putting this in place. I think, uh, first of all, we have to recognize the purpose behind a project management office, which is primarily governance. And to your point about infrastructure projects, it's not about can they run the projects, but are the projects running on time, on budget, to within plan, or whatever, whatever the particular parameters are that people care about. And I think the same is true for, you know, software. We're all very familiar with um, gated funding models and having to design a piece of software up front before the team comes on that's going to build it and knowing that that design and the final design that gets built are going to be out of sync for many different reasons. And so if we understand the project management office as a governance body, that's actually a starting point where we can have more constructive conversations than understanding it as a definition, process definition. I think that's fair. And then a lot of the time when we see in agile adoption, we see there's still a PM being assigned oversight very often of the purse strings and how those are being distributed because it's not uncommon for the PMO from a governance perspective to be the ones who are charged with making sure the money's going to the right places. Or when I say right places in quotes there. <laughs> so. Well, but, but I think it's also difficult because, you know, in a small organization, quite frankly, you shouldn't have a PMO. 
it should be something that's a little bit more fluid and you know there's a hundred people or there's 50 people or there's a few hundred people you should be able to govern where you spend money appropriately uh, without the weight of of a, a governance role or responsibility in a pmo but in larger organizations to be fair they need to control that there's a lot going on there is there's a lot of activity so how do large organizations make sure the activity is going on in the right places it's and not only that but is that that activity going in the right direction is the money being well spent and i think the biggest conflict we have with project management offices in the governance space uh, in that governance role and agile project management offices or governance if you like is fundamentally they're governing in different ways and if my head is in one space it's really difficult to get my head into the other space to look at it from that perspective so in the agile context we focus on rapid delivery of value so if we're releasing shipping something valuable in short increments we actually don't care what happens inside there we just accept the cost of that short increment a sprint let's say and measure that and say did we get enough value to say that was a good sprint of activity or did we not get enough value in which case that wasn't a good sprint of activity and we need to modify it and change it that mindset is very very different to one where the increments are long it's multiple months or even years because there are these project plans and they're trying to do everything kind of boil the ocean and get the whole thing shifted and in those situations i can't wait to the end of the increment the end of that deliverable phase because we've burned too much of our resources getting there so now i have to worry about the activity that's going on and what i always refer to as illusions of progress those milestones or the sort of ticking the boxes to think okay i feel like we are moving in the right direction therefore we should be successful and we and we i think the other one we commonly see is uh, where you've got the hey, we still got a project, but it's going to run exactly as it was, except here in the middle, we've got a bunch of boxes which are marked sprint, 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 which lead into each other, and then a whole bunch of tidy up stuff at the end to, to release it, but we haven't really actually changed very much in the process. Uh, that's uh, another common model that I've seen. In well, the- I mean, that's iterative delivery, right? But it's iterative without the increment, and the increment is the magic that makes agile delivery work coupled with short iterations whatever short is in your content yeah so it, we talked a little at the beginning about agile coes centers of excellence and and um agile pro, um, project management offices and of course they often overlap but not always there is a distinct role between the two and um it's i find it quite peculiar that as an agile like involved in agility business agility and transforming organizations to this sort of iterative and continually learning way of working we will very quickly talk about communities of practice or guilds from the whole world of spotify or whatever we but we're going to talk about those communities of practice and we encourage them right up until someone says and we've got an agile community of practice/coe and then we sort of recoil back from that from your experience what why do you think that is why are we so keen on communities of practice on the one hand but 
struggle with communities of excellence around agile in many cases? Well, well I, I see those as two slightly different things, and and it's it's partly nomenclature, but it's also partly how how they're set up and treated. Because theoretically, a, a COE could be a COP, but we, we when we often when we talk about it, we differentiate between the two, and we see the COE as the center of excellence being, hey, all of the the people who know how to do this are over there. If I want to know how to do this, I've got to go over there and be with them because they're the ones who know versus a center of practice, which is looking at, well, we're all involved in understanding how it is we work. And if we set this up, we can start to look at how can our practices improve? What practices can we evolve? We all have, we have a common, we have something in common in the practice that we're doing. We all work with with data. We all work in testing. We all work in some area. So if we bring that across and look at it, then what are those practices that we can work together to get better at improving? So that becomes our community built around looking at that particular practice uh, versus excellence being a, a sort of almost the ivory tower over in one corner that uh, is being held responsible for being the expert in this that you can only go and consult if uh, you're wearing the right robe. So in, in your description there, Peter, do you see any role for a center of excellence in terms of that almost feels like it's a definition process definition piece or it's a um, it's where all the experts sit and proclaim what agile or whatever your center of excellence is across an organization yeah that's how i I often see it being both defined and interpreted and I, i don't think it has to be that i think if it's done well then it's really less about what the name is and more about how it behaves i mean if you're if it's acting more as what i would call um what i might call a flow enablement team or ways of working team where they're, they're actively um, helping uh, the organization develop and understand new ways of working and set up communities of practice and helping put new ways into place versus the accumulation of knowledge and then telling people how to do things and saying, here, here is your, here is your set of practices that thou must follow. Uh, and if you wish to be agile, here's a rubber stamp to say that you are agile now because you did the right things to be so. And I, and I have seen that in organizations and that that's typically something I associate with the group that's been labeled as the COE. But, but do you see um, any point at which a definition, you know, a, a, a organization-wide clear-cut definition, this is what Agile is, or this is what Fred is, whatever the, the the particular topic is, this is our shared understanding of what that means in this organization. I think that I think there's value in in somewhere having made that available so that it's in the context of the organization, that the organization can understand that, but it has to be done in a way that it's open, that you can come and you can use that and the resources are there for you to consume and we will help you with the consumption of those. But if you wish to change them, then because you, there's parts of your context that you understand that you're far closer to, that we can't, we can't dictate how you should do this. We're not going to inflict this onto you. We're going to invite you to come and learn about this and you can take that away and apply it to your context and however you work. And we'll, we're happy to help you in that. I, I actually came up with a, 
with the five sort of layers of interaction models for this the other day as a part of a book I'm writing. And uh, sort of along the lines of it, it's all about that, um, how you enable the engagement to help people to have something they can take with them versus saying, hey, we, we're going to dictate exactly how you will do Scrum. And if you don't follow this, you're not agile and you don't get the stamp to say that you are. Right. And I I think, I mean, we're on the same page. I, I love where this conversation is going because I, I think there's a recognition that, that there should be standards. And I certainly don't think removing standards makes any sense at all, especially if you're in a large organization. And one of my continual frustrations is walking into organizations where every every team interprets what they the way they are working in their own way so there are common phrases terms stand-ups or definitions of done used across the organization which it is so simple to standardize that and yet they're not standardized so everybody interprets it and adds color in which which then brings us back to okay if you're going to define those standards and this is the challenge right how do you stand how do you standardize the the practices or that description of a process which is a big part cultural change and and situational and i think that's the bit that we really have a struggle with because if i go in with a mindset of I'm going to write down all of the different steps in a step one, step two, step three sequential process and the inputs and the outputs. And we define all of that in some sort of product or software delivery lifecycle. That's not what's going to happen in an agile context for two reasons. One, we're continually iterating to change that. So if we don't want to make that lifecycle description be continually modified, we need to think of it in a different way. And secondly, there's a big chunk of it is cultural change and is is situational. And those two things mean, I mean, cultural change is rarely achieved because somebody writes down what's going on and shares the leaflet out. Cultural change comes with a much more organic process behind it. Yes, for sure. And it's, and it, I think that is where we trip up in trying to marry those two different worlds and ensuring that there's this piece of i will i will start to bring together the understanding there's another area where you i can see um there's an area in which i see the center of excellence also having some things that it could do that uh, might not exist otherwise which is around um, the awareness piece around both both internally and out externally to the organization so going outside the organization, looking for other ways of doing things and bringing that back to the organization and radiating the successes so that there's an understanding of, of what's happening and what we're achieving, which adds an awful lot of value too. And I, I can see that there's there's a lot of value in that, the, the radiation of these ideas. And uh, here's, here's something that uh, may, may or may not work. You kind of, we've seen this somewhere else. This has helped this team over here. Is this what sort of challenges are you running into? Um, and here's something somebody else tried if you want to try it yourself kind of thing. So it's uh, that opening things up to provide the options, the understanding. But I, I do completely agree. There needs to be at least that standard common nomenclature. How do we describe things? How do we understand each other when we talk to each other? Because if we're all talking about something completely different in different languages, it becomes very hard to communicate. 
Um, it's uh, I, I I talk about that a lot, and when I talk about like the Rosetta Stone of how different parts of an organization need to be able to translate um, to each other, and and this is not a technology thing. This is this exists across the organization. It's uh, if sales needs to talk to marketing, if say if uh, if your finance department needs to talk to your marketing department, there, there's different languages and different areas where we need to be able to work out how to translate what all these different things mean. And if everybody's referring to things in different words. Uh, I, I ran a value stream mapping exercise earlier this week, and across that organization, they used three different words to describe uh, the uh, who one of the parties was in that value stream. So different people in the organization were referring to the, the same role with a different language in different places, um, which is... So, so uh, sorry, um, I really like the two things that are coming out from that description there, Peter. One of them is um, a, a common vocabulary, so that commonality, so that when I talk about something and you talk about something, we use the same language, it's defined, we understand it, and it's the way this organization refers to those key things. And I think that's classic COE territory um, and absolutely essential for people to be able to dig into the details behind it and have a really good conversation. Um, and then uh, the second thing that you you talked about radiators, and I thought of that as the narration of how you share the good practices, both inside the organization that you see. So you can sit down and say, over here, this is what's been achieved. There's a, there's a narrative over here, or equally outside the organization, what these narratives are. And I think the only, the, the third thing, just sort of in that COE slash PMO overlap, might be a conversation of governance in terms of recognizing how we measure good investment of time, energy, effort, money, whatever it might be, versus how we look at something and say, yeah, this isn't working. We need to pull the plug on this, or we need to invest and be curious and understanding what's going on here to um, to kind of turn it around a little bit. So that governance aspect, if you add that to the terminology vocabulary piece, the narrative piece, and then the governance, and the governance is probably a harder one because it's distinctly different to traditional project management. Um, but that governance piece, then it feels to me like you've got some power there. Yeah, the and as, as the... So power is an interesting word in this case. There's value, maybe yeah. might be a better word for me. I think it's it's uh, it's the, the some usefulness almost. There, there are things that well, I, so let me just because as I said the word power, I thought, oh no, that's not really the right word. But there's it's a catalyst. Mm -hmm. There's something there that will accelerate adoption, good practice curiosity in an organization with those three things there and so i think it's a, it's not it's definitely like i said power is probably the wrong word but it's it's catalytic in some way it's an accelerator which is exactly what you want to see from a a, a project management officer or a coe that's really worth its salt it's an enabler it allows the the organization to function at a higher level than it would do without that body being. Yep. 
and and I think of that more as this um, this way of ways of working team as that's from the sooner safer happier world or the or what um, we call um, the flow enablement team or or whatever the, this enablement team that's uh, helping the organization in that manner um, versus quite often what we see in that COE category which can sometimes end up being the um, dictatorial um, where thou shalt operate this way in order to be called this. And if you're not, then you're not doing it right type uh, behavior, which is um, uh, quite, I find uh, quite counterproductive. So looking at the time, maybe Peter, what are the, what are the kind of takeaways you want people to think about as we leave this conversation? Well, I, I think, uh, and I think we've gone through quite a number of really, really good points. And the, and the three that we had here, I think are still really worth, talking about um, around the first one being that uh, you can't control the cultural change from a COE, uh, that they can help enable it in the organization, they can help guide it, they can help bring new ways of working, and if they behave and, uh, and operate in the right world, they can be a very powerful force to help accelerate as a catalyst that change in the organization. Uh, the second one was around uh, you can't put control on a changing, constantly changing process. So this idea that the COA is going to sit there and write down exactly how you will do these things and that everybody will do those things that way, it doesn't, it, that is not how Agile works and that's not how uh, uh, change works. And just simply in terms of how do we deliver value to our customers and accelerate our ability to do that, that that's just not how um, these you can change these systems. And then the last one was... Uh, the, a, a traditional PMO being very much at right angles in terms of the, the governance structure. Uh, there's a lot of value in what a, a PMO can potentially do in that they, they need to be involved in that change. Um, but their, their role is very much at right angles to what that transformation uh, that the COE, as we're describing it here, the way of working uh, team is actually operating uh, in terms of uh, accelerating value delivery. Um, so so with that, would you like to wrap us up for today, Dave? Well, let me just uh, say thank you again for the conversation. As always, we'll welcome comments or ideas of topics, uh, insights, and until next time. Thank, thank you very much. much. <laughs> You've been listening to Definitely Maybe Agile, the podcast where your hosts, Peter Madison and David Sharrock, focus on the art and science of digital, agile, and DevOps at scale. 